If you're a guest, we're in kind of the middle of a series. It's with Ezra and Nehemiah, and we're almost at that transition place. We're going to move out of the text of Ezra and into Nehemiah, but they're pretty much uh, just a continuation. It's really one big story, and those two books actually, at one, up until 1448, they were just one book. It was just really one kind of thing, and so that's the way we're treating it, and um, I hope you get the idea about that. Last week, we we talked about moving into the grace of the Lord and the initiation of that and just this this prayer that we prayed together and several, a couple dozen of you requested that so that you could do that privately, so that you could just kind of lean into that and have some alone time uh, to go before the Lord and to re-pray that. And today, we're going to take that next step. And what I want to show you is just the real practical way. And I think for me, I want to know, okay, Lord, this is where my heart is. And this is, this is where I see you and where I feel like I am. And what do I do? You know, and my personality is the kind that I always want to do something. You know, like, Lord, what, what, do I, what can I do now? And sometimes it's kind of like Kevin said a moment ago, you just receive and you just lean into where the grace of the Lord is. And you just you move into that moment and let him be who he is. And we commit ourselves to being who he wants us to be. And that's the place we're going to find ourselves today in this story as we start wrapping up um, what happened with Ezra. And this is a real beautiful moment because it's kind of, what is it when you, when you get to the bum, 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 the music? Is that crescendo? Okay, I'm looking at you because... We, we expect you to know. Okay, this is sort of the crescendo, uh, the, bah, bah, the climax of the story, okay? And it's just beautiful. It's really, uh, it, it, we get a glimpse of the intimacy and the power and just the emotion uh, of where they are. So here's the big idea. Here's the, the big message uh, today. God's unfailing love comes to us when we fail and repent. And the application of that is that even in the midst of great sin, there is an amazing hope for reconciliation because of God's unfailing love and this redeeming power. He longs to reclaim you. And if you're not sure where to begin and what is it that triggers that, that's what we're going to talk about uh, today. Um, so after Ezra arrives in Jerusalem, and I just realized, okay, you know you're a grandfather, you know you are, when you've got, um, technically it's a pacifier, we call them memes in our house, and I'm going to return this uh, to you guys there. Uh, nice catch. Do you play for UT? <laughs> okay. Um, I just, hey, just a lighten up, okay? After Ezra arrives back in Jerusalem, and we've, we've spent a long time, you know, just talking about that and the journey and uh, the choice people had, whether to stay in Babylon or they'd gotten permission from King Cyrus, hey, you want to go home? You want to go back? And they're like, yeah, we'd like to go home. But... It's actually not home. We haven't been there in 70 years. Some of us have never seen, most of us have never seen the place. And those who have, it's just a memory from their childhood. Everybody's just gotten old. And we're 
but they move, you know, a remnant of the people, they, they go back uh, to Jerusalem and they begin to rebuild the wall and we'll talk about that in our next session and then they uh, they'll you know rebuild the, the temple and they they find all the artifacts and the, the articles that are necessary for their worship and just everything begins to fall back in place and now it's time to get to the heart of it to for Ezra rediscovers the Torah the law the principles the guiding of the Lord, and this is how you should live, and this is the way of the Lord. And so this, all of this kind of surrounds what happens next. Ezra begins to teach the truth again to the people that they had forgotten. And you know how you do that? You know how, you know, you, maybe you prayed a prayer when you were in vacation Bible school or at youth camp or at some place and point in your life and it was just so real and it was so genuine to you. But through the years, maybe you drifted or you took very purposeful steps and just you said, you know what, I'm not, I'm not there anymore. And you might be in that place this morning. Or maybe you've been there and all of a sudden these these ideas that have become so distant and faded to you begin to come back and you go, oh, wow, I forgot about uh, prayer or about worship or you know, all of those things. And as you lean back into that, something beautiful begins to happen as you, you wake back up. And that's what's happening to these people. And Ezra is teaching. And what he discovers is that they have really broken... <laughs> the main laws and commandments that God had given, which had gotten them into this mess to begin with. The whole reason they were exiled is because as they had kind of been grafted into this culture, they didn't just tolerate or they didn't just try to live side by side and try to get, no, they adopted it. They embraced it. And they began to leave the Lord and leave everything they knew and just, just free fall into this lifestyle of the Babylonians. And bit by bit, day by day, place by place, they just became like everyone around them. And they began to marry the people and they began to uh, have these relationships where they just went further and further. And instead of like introducing God into that culture, and instead of saying, no, this is who we are, we're followers of Yahweh, we're, we want you to know this. They just abandoned that and kept going in these practices and these pagan households and began to do the same things. This was a major issue for the Hebrew people uh, all throughout the Old Testament. They were doing this. They were so unfaithful. And it was probably the biggest reason for the exile to start with. In their comfort and in their compromise, the Hebrew people just forsook what they knew was right and what they knew the Lord wanted them to do. Does that sound kind of familiar? Maybe you're there. So we get up to this place where Ezra's reading the law and he sees the contrast between where the people all are and what God word says and it just breaks his heart I mean he has a meltdown he is exhausted physically emotionally spiritually 
and he gets to this point. He just goes into what my mama would say is a conniption. I mean, he just, he has a fit. And he's just tearing his hair and his clothes and his beard. And he just, and then he collapses. And in that moment, all the people are there. And they see this and they're a part of this. And, and this begins to, to just permeate the people around him in waves. And there's just this ripple of emotion and this spiritual power that begins to go around Ezra. And at that moment, he starts to pray. And I can visualize just even a moment ago, some of us, just tears going down our cheeks as we sang and as we worshiped. And Ezra just just cries and he just lifts his face and his hands up to the Lord and he just begins to pray this beautiful, sincere, spontaneous, genuine prayer. It's not really long, but to our ears it is sometimes. And I find that sometimes in public worship, when a guy like me begins to read a passage, if it's over two or three or four verses, uh, I lose you. You start thinking about your team tonight or the Rotel dip or a hundred other things. But I'm going to risk it. I'm going to try this because I, I looked at this and I've read this several times and I think, wow, there's nothing else I can do except just read it to you. Just read it with you. And hopefully you'll engage and just, just stay with it and feel the power um, in this instant where Ezra and then these people were. So verse 4 of chapter 9. Then all who trembled at the words of the God of Israel because of the faithlessness of the returned exiles gathered around me while I sat appalled until the evening sacrifice. And at the evening sacrifice, I rose from my fasting with my garment and my cloak torn and I fell upon my knees and I spread out my hands to the Lord my God saying, and here's his prayer. Oh, my God, I am ashamed and blush to lift my face to you, my God, for our iniquities have risen higher than our heads and our guilt has mounted up to the heavens. From the days of our fathers to this day, we have been in great guilt. And for our iniquities, we, our kings and our priests, have been given into the hand of the kings of the land, to the sword, to captivity, to plundering, and to utter shame as it is today. But now... For a brief moment, favor has been shown by the Lord our God to leave us a remnant and to give us a secure hold within his holy place that our God may brighten our eyes and grant us a little reviving in our slavery. For we are slaves. Yet, our God has not forsaken us in our slavery but has extended to us his steadfast love before the kings of Persia to grant us some reviving to set up the house of our God to repair its ruins and to give us protection in Judea and Jerusalem. 
and now. Oh, our God, what shall we say after this? For we have forsaken your commandments, which you commanded by your servants to the prophets, saying, The land that you are entering to take possession of is a land impure, with the impurity of the peoples of the land and with their abominations that have filled it from end to end with their uncleanness. Therefore, do not give your daughters to their sons, neither take their daughters for your sons, neither seek their peace or prosperity, that you may be strong and eat the good of the land and leave it for an inheritance to your children forever. And after all that has come upon us for our evil deeds and for our great guilt, seeing that you, our God, have punished us less than our iniquities deserved and has, have given us a remnant such as this, shall we break your commandments again and intermarry with the peoples who practice these abominations? Would you not be angry with us until you consumed us so that there would be no remnant nor any escape? Oh, Lord, God of Israel, you are just. For we are left a remnant that has escaped as it is today. Behold, we are before you in our guilt. For none can stand before you because of this. Now, while Ezra prayed and made confession, weeping and casting himself down before the house of God, a very great assembly of men women and children gathered to him out of Israel for the people wept bitterly and Shechaniah the son of Jehiel of the sons of Elam addressed Ezra we have broken faith with our God and have married foreign women from the peoples of the land but even now there is hope for Israel in spite of this. Therefore, let us make a covenant with our God to put away all these wives and their children according to the counsel of my Lord and of those who tremble at the commandment of our God and let it be done according to the law. And they rise up together as one people and they make a covenant with the Lord. Father, I pray that if those of us who find grace and courage in Jesus today, enough so that we would recognize our own guilt, that we would confess and repent. And that in that repentance and turning to you, we would find your unfailing love is steadfast and ready to reclaim us. Do that now for your glory. In Jesus' name. When you see sin, whether it's in your life or someone else, uh, and it's blatant. It's, it's easy to react. We can become sad um, 
or angry, frustrated, and confused, and you can display just a variety of emotions as you realize, as you awaken. And have you ever had those moments where you thought, oh Lord, oh God, what have I done? Or when you see that before you and you think, Lord, how could this happen? How could they? That's this moment. Because deep down, we know that sin is wrong. Even those of you who are not followers of Jesus, there's something there. There is a morality switch. And even those of us who are distant would find ourselves saying when we see injustice, but that's not fair. You see, we, it's wired into us. We recognize sin. Whether it's another crime that we see committed on the news. And I watched the video this week. Maybe you saw it too in the Nasser trial of the father who asked the judge, can I just have five minutes with this guy who abused my daughter? And when he was denied that, he just threw himself forward. And you think in a rational moment, what do you expect? What do you think is going to happen in the next 10 seconds? Do you think they're just going to stand by and let you attack this guy? Of course, they wrestled him back down, and I watched one of the officers whispering into his ear, but it was just with empathy and with grace. Because every father, every brother, every husband, every man felt what he was feeling in that moment. And you all had that reaction and thought, I want to do the same thing. Because sin, when we see it for what it is, it produces a response. Ezra tore his clothes and his hair and his beard. And you think, what could make someone have that much agony? Sin. When we see it for what it is and for the lie that it is. Sin bothers us, and it causes us to weep. Have you wept over your sin? There are times when you think, I just can't cry any more tears. Where do I go with that emotion? Sin should cause us to mourn. So let me ask you this question, and I hope it haunts you a little bit. What injustice or sin or evil in this world causes you to mourn? Is it abortion? Is it human trafficking and slavery? Is it, is it addiction? Is it, what is it? Because within that may be a place where God is going to move you forward into ministry in, in passion to make a difference. It bothers us. Jesus promised in Matthew 5, 4, blessed are those who mourn because you'll, you'll be comforted. 
Several times in the Gospels, we see Jesus himself when he mourned and he wept and he cried. And, you know, when he saw this pain and he saw this suffering. And I think even, do you remember when he came to the funeral of Lazarus and he, you know, he got there late and these the sisters and the people, they're all crying. They're going, Jesus, where have you been? If you had been here, you could have done something. You could have diverted this. And Jesus just cries. And you think, Jesus, you know all about heaven. You know Lazarus is going to be okay, you know. But and he knew what he could do in the next five minutes and the difference he would make. But the emotion of it caused Jesus to cry. And we see other, other times in his life where he did. So it's okay if you have an emotional response to sin or to heartbreak or these damaged emotions and these wounded places in us that we talked about last week. When we mourn, when there's grief over sin, without realizing it oftentimes, we open a door for change and restoration, restoration for God to reclaim us. When you move beyond a half-hearted attempt or, you know, just a casual lazy kind of, yeah, you know, I think that's kind of wrong, and so I won't do that anymore. No, when it goes down in your soul and your eyes are opened and you mourn, he said, oh, that's a blessing on its way to you because God can throw open this door and, and your life can change. My prayer life will never rise above my personal life in Christ. If my personal life acclimates too much to this world, if you compromise and give in to these sins, you dull that ability to communicate with the Lord and your prayer life suffers and you may not even know it. Psalm 66, 18 says this, if I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. Isaiah 59, 1 and 2 says this, Surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, nor his ear too dull to hear, but your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. According to these scriptures and so many more, uh, you are, we're just not, you're, there's not, it can't have an effective prayer life where sin maintains its grip on the life of a believer. This is why confession is critical for each of us. And I know even when I say that, some of you are going to go, oh man, where did this guy come from? And what's he talking about confession? Isn't that... We're, we're like a Baptist church, right? Isn't that a Catholic thing? Do we do, you know? Or is that kind of an old-timey idea? Confession is critical to our praying, and it should be implemented early on in your prayer. Whatever you think about it, it clears the conscience of this faith-killing guilt. And it opens our hearts to truly hear and listen and to believe God is concerned and he's going to answer our prayers. 
Confession is a powerful thing. And it it gives God access into our hearts and it removes all those hindrances to effective prayer. And if, um, this isn't the only cause, so I'm not going to say this is it, this is the magic bullet to, you know, when you start to pray and you think, I don't think anything's happening, I'm not sure God's listening or that I'm really into this or what. You know, if you feel yourself at that place, it could be that the Holy Spirit wants you to take a step back and go, wait, before you move forward and start asking for this and, you know, talking about that, you might need to confess. Confession is, it's like a spiritual surgery where healing the wound uh, is experienced because it starts in the heart. And just as a surgeon treats an infection to heal us from the inside, uh, so confession opens this wounded place, draws the, the poison out, drains the poison, and we begin to heal. And, you know, you, you may not be used to that. You may think, well, I've kind of confessed where I say things, you know how we do, like, oh, Lord, you know, I'm such a sinner and I'm just really bad. And so what I need today is an A on this test or what I need, you know, and we just kind of throw it in. It's sort of a, you know, a, a, it's more than that. And if you're not used to that, let me just give you some, ideas, some practical suggestions on how this might work for you if you're not used to doing that. And if you, you sometimes out of emotion, you'll just blurt everything out. And I think that's, that's okay. Uh, but if you're not there, here's some ideas. One is just be honest. How many times have we kind of, hey, Lord, you know, just kind of, but, you know, and I think... and. Did that work even with your parents or your coach or your teacher? And they're just looking at you like, what? What are you even talking about? Here's the deal. Well, the Lord knows too. So just be honest. Just be honest. The next thing I I would say is to accept grace. And if you are so wounded and out of that woundedness, you've sinned. And the Lord says, I want to be gracious to you. The first thing, you know, that you're probably going to think is, no, 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 I don't deserve that. I am. And the enemy's going to whisper all these statements to you about you. And you're going to believe those. And you're going to continue in that self-condemnation. And you're going to allow him to do that. Unless you just right up front, you say, Lord, as impossible, as amazing as it sounds, just like Ezra did, I'm going to accept your grace. And I'm going to believe Romans and Colossians and Galatians. And I'm going to believe that you want to be gracious to me. And I accept that. And thirdly, uh, call it what it is. I know it's embarrassing. And, and that was one of the first things Ezra said. God, I am ashamed and I blush. I just don't even want to look at you because um, I'm about to tell you what I've done. You already know what I've done. But I don't even want to say it. I don't even want to mention it because I'm just so humiliated. I know that's hard, but that humiliation is part of this healing. So call it what it is. Lord, I kind of sinned today. I sort of had to, you know. No, you know, no more games. Just call it what it is. And then take responsibility. Lord, I was just so tired, or I was so, or mama called me a name, or this. I mean, I know all of that is true, and there, there are factors in that. But, you know, at the end of the day, just step up. Be a man, be a woman, and take responsibility. And get specific. 
I think the Lord loves to be specific with us. This is how I'm going to bless you. This is what I'm going to do. This is how I'm going to heal you. I mean, I don't want to walk out and for the Lord to say, bless you. I'm just going to bless you. What does that mean? Ah, just, I don't know. Just bless, bless, you know, just general, just general blessing. No, when I pray, there's specific things I'm asking for, right? Lord, help me to have a good day. What does that mean? Lord, I need this. I need this. I need this relationship. I need this project and this. And Lord, I'm scared over here. And I'm frightened. I'm just really angry about this. Get specific. And then claim God's forgiveness. If your parents ever made you a promise, you know, you do this, then we're going to go here. If that happens, then I'm going to give you this. And then you remind them of that, right? Hey, Dad, it's Saturday, and you said you promised. You know, have you ever just said that back to an authority figure or to your parents or somebody? Listen, I think we can kind of do that with the Lord. Hey, Lord, you said when I confess and I repent that you would forgive and God I'm claiming that and I'm, I need that and I accept your forgiveness and as you do that and you feel yourself beginning to move forward and envision that see yourself in the future without that sin anymore just envision what life can be like with Jesus where you've been so alone before and when you see that you can renew your commitment. Say, God, I had sinned, but you know what? I'm, I'm in a different place, and I'm committing to you. Then when you've done that, you're free. Now, your emotions or the enemy may try to say, well, this isn't over yet, and he will remind you of it, okay? He will wait for the moment when you're tired, when you're hungry, when all the, and he's going to, when you have failed, and he'll bring it back up. Because he wants to keep you in that place and he doesn't want you to believe the truth that that's done. So you move forward. You know, you, you, you do that and you move on to other prayers and just continue to pray. Those are just some ideas. That's not all inclusive and maybe I didn't communicate that well, but hopefully that'll get you started. Ezra tears his clothes and he mourns. He's just in grief about the people's sin and he prays for God to forgive them. You know, and he's moved from just himself and this is a beautiful thing about being in a fellowship, being a part of the body of Christ in a family is that we pray not just in, you know, in a singular way, in an individual way, but we began to pray in the plural. Oh Lord, we have done this. Oh Lord, we need this. And you begin to pray on behalf of other people, on behalf of your family and your community group and your church. And in this prayer, Ezra speaks of the favor of God. He says, Lord, you've given us this, this Jewish people and nobody seems to like us, but you've given us favor with foreign kings and You've, you've recalled us back and you returned us to Jerusalem despite all of our failures. And oh boy, did we fail. We really did. Ezra is the guy who is used by God to show the brokenness of the people. See, it's not just about him, but it's these people. This happened in December. 458 BC the Jewish community in and around Jerusalem was changed 
because of the brokenness and the humility of this one man and then this remnant of people around him as they began to confess and as they began to repent and to go forward. Another question. What people do you allow to speak truth in your life and possibly even show you some of the flaws and some of the places where you've messed up and just say that? It doesn't mean that everybody who talks to you is always right. It doesn't mean that somebody says, I think this about you. It may or may not be true, but are you open and are there a few people, one, two, three people in your life that you do trust enough and that you would open your heart to and listen and say, just tell me the truth. Just tell me what you think. And then don't get defensive or don't, you know, try to start doing that. Uh, well, well, you know, well, like, let me tell my, you know, no, just to listen. Do you have anybody like that? In Ezra's prayer, you know, he uses this phrase to describe God's character, and it's in chapter 9, verse 9, and it's unfailing love. He says, you know, I have this unfailing love for you. And that word that just seemed to jump off the page to me, and so I did a long word study on it, and so I'm really into this, and I'll, I'll try not to take too much time. But the, the reason I just thought it was so cool is because we don't have this word, we translate it steadfast love or loving kindness. But you know what? We made that up. I asked Kathy, I said, have you ever heard the word loving kindness outside of the context of Christianity? And she thought, no, that's, this is where I mostly heard it. You know, I said, you know why? Because we made it up. There was, we didn't have a word for this word. It's the word, and I, my, my Hebrew pronunciation is not really good, but it's kesed, kesed. I can't do that sound. It's very difficult to translate into English because we don't have anything that captures the full meaning of it. It is, however, a concept that is deeply embedded and just wired into the soul of Jewish culture and theology. It means kindness or love that's ongoing and permanent. It's a devotion and favor and loyalty and mercy and goodness and faithfulness. It's like all of that's rolled into one word. You know, when I go to Chipotle or Moe's and they go, what do you want? You know, and you go down the, the line, yeah, yeah, I want some you know, jalapenos and yeah, black olives and cheese. By the time I get done, my burritos are always like, I mean, it's just huge and I can't eat it. Some of you just, you have those... That's nice, those little minimalist, you know, things. Yeah, that's all I want. Just put some lettuce in mine. Not me. Man, I load that baby up. I mean, it's just huge. That's this word. That's a terrible analogy. That's like one of the words. Driving home today, I'm going to go, that was really dumb. I don't know. But that's this word, and it's used all throughout the Old Testament. It's used in Ruth in such a beautiful way to talk about how this family, because it's a family word, how this family is just stubborn. Where you go, I will go, and your people will be my people. And, my, and they're just like, I'm not letting go of you, and I'm going to love you, and we're in this together. Three times in the book of Ruth, this is it's mentioned. It's all through the Psalms. It's, it's just everywhere in the Psalms. Um, 
It's just this beautiful word. And it's used in this one place, Second Chronicles verse, chapter 20, verse 21. And this is talking about Jehoshaphat. And it says this, When he had taken counsel with the people, he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and to praise him in holy attire as they went before the army and say, Give thanks to the Lord for his mercy or his steadfast love. Keshet endures forever. Jehoshaphat's telling the people, okay, I'm interviewing all the singers that are going to be in the choir today, and yeah, you've got a beautiful voice, and you've got, but you know what I'm really looking for? Somebody whose hearts long to be joined with God's hearts, and the worship leader would recognize that, and he would see that passion, and he'd say, I want you on my worship team. You are the people who are going to lead Israel in worship, because our hearts are joined with his hearts forever. We've got to know that. It's that passion. The Bible tells us again and again, and even in, in, in that chapter, in that incident, that the, the moment, the, the very the split second that, that we speak those words in sincerity, God begins to act on our behalf. I am a testimony of that again and again in my life. Sometimes I feel like that guy in Luke 18, 15, where he just, he couldn't even look up. And I started to say he's on the back row, but then all those of you on the back row will feel so judged. Um, Are you praying this prayer with me right now? Oh, God, forgive me, a sinner. I'm seeing some sinners back there, like Andrew. I mean, I'm just, I mean, just, hey, we're just confessing. Um, But their hearts are just so pure. He says, just be merciful to me. God is reclaiming us in this steadfast, loving kindness. And I can't even wrap my mind and my heart around what this word means. The people were convicted of their sin along with, you know, after hearing Ezra's prayer. You ever listen to somebody pray and they just break down and all start crying saying, yeah. It's like when Matt was singing a moment ago, I thought, Lord, that, the words to that song, I could, if I could sing. And our voices are very, very similar. Some of you have noticed that, that Matt and I sing a lot alike. But um, you just sing along with a song or maybe in your car and you've just sung and you just, you just think, oh, Lord, it's like I wrote this. Shechaniah speaks to Ezra and he proclaims this. This is in chapter 10, verse 2. In spite of this. There is still hope for Israel. In spite of what you've done, in spite of what's happened to you, there is still hope for you. Maybe you feel imprisoned by your failures. Maybe you feel victimized or abused. Hope is powerful, and hope is here. There is always hope. Hope is triggered when you grieve regarding your personal sin. When you confess it to the Lord, you leave it behind. That's all repentance is. You focus your eyes and your heart on his forgiveness, on his unfailing love. 
And when you do, you set into motion the grace of the Lord and you will find your hope again for today, for tomorrow, and all the days after. So let's finish this way. I want you to stand with me, please. And uh, we're going to do this song together. And as we do, you may want to begin now. Ezra was in front of everybody. He could have said, I would have said, I got to get home. I don't want to do this in front of everybody. I hate crying in front of people. And Lord, I'm just going to get home as fast as I can. And he said, I can't wait. Maybe you can't wait. If you can, wait till you get home. You can probably do it better in, in a more extended way then, but I get that. But right now, you just may want to see your sin. Allow the Lord to let that grief just wash over you and to confess it and to leave it. Leave it at the cross. You know, there's nothing magic about these steps up here, but you can turn them into your own altar, just like Ezra had in the temple. And you can pray here or where you are as we sing. God will begin to do something beautiful as he reclaims us.